Watson joined by Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. National Public Radio is adamant. Nobody is going to make you eat the bugs. In fact, NPR says that believing governments and environmentalist activists want to make you eat the bugs is a conspiracy theory. Oh, and if you don't want to eat the bugs, you're a little different than the Europeans who wouldn't eat indigenous American foods during the period of colonization. But is that really the case? Do major advocacy groups like the World Economic Forum and the broader environmentalist movement in fact want to change what we eat? Joining us to discuss all this is Jim Lakely, Vice President and Director of Communications for the Heartland Institute. Uh, Jim, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work at Heartland? Sure. Uh, In fact, I used to work uh, with Sarah at the Heartland Institute. She's a former Heartlander. We got former Heartlanders all over the place, uh, which is both a good thing and a bad thing, I guess. uh, I really loved having Sarah in Heartland. Oh, thanks, Jim. I really loved meeting you guys and working there as well. Yeah. Well, the Heartland Institute, we're a free market uh, libertarian slash conservative think tank uh, founded in 1984 by a bunch of economists that got around a table uh, in Chicago, um, which is now a hellhole. But back in the 80s, it was not. uh, It was still a pretty good city. And they decided, you know, the Midwest needs its own think tank to advance free markets and individual liberty. And so the Heartland Institute was born and we've been working for those aims ever since. So. The question we've all been waiting to hear the answer to. Do they want us to yeah. eat the bugs? They want you to eat the bugs for sure. <laughs> Klaus Schwab wants you to eat the bugs. Uh, all you have to do is they've taken things down from their website because, uh, you know, it's funny. You, you mentioned, Michael, at the opening that, you know, is this, quote unquote, a conspiracy theory? Uh, you know, I don't think you can define something as a conspiracy theory when you find it on the WEF's own website. That is not a conspiracy theory. It is the truth. Yeah, like the, the, the uh, way that, because, I mean, people might remember the uh, the you'll own nothing and be happy op-ed. Yes. Uh, you know, that like the way that they tried to argue that that wasn't what they actually believed is they said, well, we kind of invite everybody and everybody gives their opinions. And this is just an opinion, you know. Right, right. What, what should we make of that? Well, look, the World Economic Forum, uh, nobody elected these people to anything. What's really interesting is that it's only podcasts like this one and the Heartland Institute's in the, Th- in the Tank podcast and other people on the right who are finally taking notice of what the World Economic Forum is up to. And they've been very upfront about it, putting all of these their plans for the world on their website. And uh, Klaus Schwab, in fact, bragged, um, brags to this day about placing WEF graduates in positions of great power all around the world. Jacinda Ardern, the former now, thank goodness, the former prime minister of New Zealand, is a graduate of the WEF school, I suppose, or been trained by WEF. Um, uh, Justin Trudeau, of course, is another one who is a big WEF guy who's in charge of... Prime Minister still in charge of Canada. Yeah, Prime Minister Canada. (laughs) And so, you know, they they say these things out loud. They have these uh, annual meetings. And... Basically, right. this, this is the, this really is the, da- the Davos it. meeting where all the politicians, all the world leaders from unpleasant countries, all the businessmen, they all go to Switzerland and unpleasant countries, including us. Yes, yes. And, and what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was I was thinking the People's Republic of China, but 
We'll share. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but the, the purpose of those meetings is to plan the future of the world. They say it overtly and out loud all the time. And part of it is to make it so that, uh, you know, it, what's funny is that they were kind of going slowly and it was just kind of silly and people weren't paying attention. But now they have these people in positions of power and influence around the world. So now they're stating their goal and that we need to achieve this now. This is our moment. This is the time. The WF, when COVID came, it was the greatest thing that Klaus Schwab had ever seen happen to the world was COVID. As evil and sick as that is. He thought this is now our opportunity to reset yeah, yeah. global this, this capitalism. Is, this is the idea behind the Great Reset. What, what, exactly. what is it? Because exactly. a lot of people use that term. I have, for my sins, actually read the book. Um, the, you know, what, what is it? <laughs> Well, the Great Reset is is the great opportunity that Klaus Schwab, again, nobody elected him to anything. Uh, this is maybe, just a, a maybe form before, of people. Maybe before we get to the Great Reset, like, what's, yeah. who is Klaus Schwab? Like, what, what, obviously, he's head of the World Economic Forum, but, like, how how did he get there? What does he advocate? Who is he? I, I actually don't know how he got there. He formed the – all I know is that he formed the World Economic Forum um, and and used it over decades now to gather power and influence among world leaders. And if there's one thing world leaders want – it's validation for power grabbing. And mm-hmm. what the World Economic Forum does is Klaus Schwab and the rest of the people of the World Economic Forum, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an echo chamber of control freaks. And they have slowly grown in influence around the world. And the Great Reset, again, Klaus Schwab, it was when COVID happened, he's like, this is our opportunity for a great reset of the global economic system. And what he means, and he talks about things, he uses uh, you know jargon like, um, shareholder capitalism, stakeholder, 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 stakeholder yeah. capitalism, <laughs> stakeholder capitalism, right? Uh, which isn't capitalism, um, but it's basically a way well, to it's, direct. It's, it's it's corporate corporate management influenced by the non governmental organization sector, which as yes, I, you know what uh, Capital Research Center we've a couple times run the figures on how big the left, at least in the United States, you know, to say nothing of internationally. Uh, mm-hmm. The United States left non-governmental organization sector and the right non-governmental organization sector is. And last, I think we ran the figures, it was four to one left. So I, mm-hmm. I, I call it, I call it, you know, gerrymandering the corporate boardroom. That's <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. And so, uh, you know, look, the, the, the World Economic Forum, and as we know, Western Europe has been trending left for decades. It's always been to the left of the United States until probably now. Uh, where I think the policies in the United States were trying to catch up and actually pass up the the, uh, the Western democracies, quote unquote democracies, in the in Western Europe to become even more left wing than they are. But it, the the Great Reset, the World Economic Forum, their goal, their purpose is to is to basically make. I know. Again, here we go with conspiracy theories, Michael. I, I don't want to. I'm trying to figure out a different way to say this, but I'll just say it: a global government. You speak of global governance. Uh, you know, they may not have an institutional framework built. They, you know, may not know what it's going to look like. But I mean, they want the World Health Organization to have more power. They want the right. United Nations to be a forum with more authority. Uh, so, no, I, call it what you want. But I mean, they they speak of global governance. I find it interesting that they put out the sequel to Great Reset, uh, Schwab and his co-author, like, right before Russia invaded Ukraine and kind of demonstrated what a folly global governance is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but no, that, that I think it's completely fair to say that's their goal because they say that's their goal. Right. 
And and what and so even if you don't want to buy into all of that, but you, everybody should read the Great Reset. You actually should read the Great Reset book that Justin Haskins of the Heartland Institute co-wrote with uh, uh, with Glenn Beck. That's also fantastic, and they're working on a second book right now, or maybe it's a third book right now. But uh, one thing that we can be sure of is that the future that the World Economic Forum envisions for the world does not include a whole lot of freedom for you and me. Um, all of their aims are to control your life. And that gets back down to where we were joking in the beginning, you will eat Z-bugs. And that is because they are, they are all in the climate cult. And so actually, some of them may actually believe it, but certainly Klaus Schwab knows that the, that the climate panic, that the climate cult is the mechanism through which they, they can impose by force global governance. So we have to eat Z-bugs because we can't raise cattle for meat because that harms the environment. Um, so that's why you'll be eating bugs. That's why you will own nothing and be happy. Uh, the key is, word there too really is um, you, unless, you unless, will own nothing. You will own right. nothing. Not that. Guess. Yeah. Guess who's still going to eat meat? Do you think, do you think Bill Gates when he goes to these world economic forum meetings is eating bugs? I think he's eating Wagyu steak. That's what I think. Uh, and all of these people do. So this is, this is a, um, you know, Klaus Schwab, he looks like a bond villain. Uh, he sounds like a Bond villain, and like a Bond villain, he really his goal really is global domination of everybody who only thinks as he does, as a hard leftist socialist who does not value your freedom and does not believe that you, Sarah, you, Mike, or me, myself, have the right to live our lives as we wish, as long as we harm nobody else. That is as foreign to him as as as, as an alien speaking to him from another planet. Yeah, I think, you know, I, uh, you're in the tank podcast there at Heartland. You guys had a great, the last time that you could, the World Economic Forum met, which wasn't very long ago, you did a great mm -hmm. podcast about um, just what they were doing, what the Great Reset was. I think you threw Greta uh, Thunberg in there as well uh, on the climate stuff. But I thought you made a really interesting point that I think actually um, relates to a lot of what we're seeing right now with this sort of disinformation you know, um, fear that's being created. Um, you know, you can't, and, and that relates to the conspiracy theory stuff. Um, you said in that podcast that they were, they were really just mad to the extent that they're mad, the, the World Economic Forum types, because people were paying attention to them and that mm -hmm. they were really just trying to bore us to death to ignore them, right? <laughs> um, because what happens is when you pay attention to them, it, it's and you start to do what you what we're doing here, what you guys did, and you're in the tank pod. Start to talk about what they believe, what they think. Um, it gets harder to call that a conspiracy theory. It gets harder to call it disinformation. And so I think this bug thing, this article that kind of started Mike's idea about wanting to talk to you from NPR, is fascinating because they're they're essentially in that article saying. No, no, no. This is a 4chan conspiracy theory. And it only came about because, well, yeah, in Europe, they decided to include bugs on the menu. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it always reminds me of Snowpiercer. And if you haven't seen that movie or read that book, uh, that graphic novel, um, you should, because that's what this reminds me of. It always does. It's like this, you know, power and control thing on the train that's circumnavigating the the, the earth and they're creating chaos in the tail end while serving everyone bucks. 
Right. Well, you know, uh, today they, we shouldn't call them conspiracy theories anymore because they're actually just spoiler alerts. Mm-hmm. Because you know, it, it, the 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 time between a conspiracy theory coming when I was a kid, I'm 52 years old. When I was a kid, and there was you know the crazy old guy standing on the corner with the uh, you know you must repent, world's coming to an end, and you know the Lyndon LaRouche guys out there uh, you know at the table when I was in college. You know, the, the time between a conspiracy theory and a coming true used to be measured in years or even decades. Now it's measured in weeks to. And, and so this this idea that like, oh, NPR, mm-hmm. uh, which, by the way, I love this just today. Uh, uh, Elon Musk labeled NPR on their Twitter feed as state sponsored media, uh, which is which, which is true. Mm-hmm. So our state sponsored media at NPR, it's like, no, 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 they don't really don't want you to eat the bugs. It's like, then, then why do they keep talking about it? Why do they keep promoting it? There was a video of that's all. Right. Uh, that's all. Right. That's all. Right. You know the these elite media, especially from Europe. You know the Economist. Uh, the Economist does it often. Business Insider has done it. That are like, would you eat bugs to save the planet? And it's like, if if that's not what you want, why do you keep bringing it up? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and so if you're going to keep talking about it, people are actually going to start listening. Like I said, the, 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 the only, like I said, in the, my other podcast, as you mentioned, Sarah, throwing my own words back in my face. I appreciate that. <laughs> I thought it was a great point. They just want to oh. bore us to death with the <laughs> yeah. news coming out of world economic forum. So we just don't pay attention to them while they do all of this weird stuff. So anyway, sorry. Yeah. Well, no, when most people throw my words back in my face. It's for ill, not for good. So I got a little caught, a little caught off guard. But yeah, just the the idea that we're paying attention and that uh, you know this this is now uh, they they get a little panicked, I think. So I think they're going to try to go back to b- trying to bore us to death, uh, but they just can't seem to help themselves. They can't they can't shut their their darn mouths. But well, I think you, really, well, when, they, and and the the problem with them trying to bore us to death is that people are watching them now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, yeah. they've always you you know they've always at least as long as I've been paying attention, they've always been like press there, and the you know people have always written it up, but. Like, you know, now you have people from the National Review. I'm going to quote from Michael Brendan Dougherty. Uh, he wrote a, a report on two Davos meetings ago, the one in 22. Uh, Schwab's obsessions with global political cooperation, environmentalism, and the fourth industrial revolution, his idea that the next great leap in capitalist productivity will come from integrating technology with the human person itself, guarantees that the presentation will be a mix of utopian globalism that somehow combined visions of global austerity to reduce carbon emissions with nightmares about a handful of corporate and political leaders having direct access to your amygdala. Um, you know, they're, they're now, because especially at the Davos meeting, it's so many people in positions of authority and positions of power and government uh, and, in, and in the private sector, uh, and in the the nonprofit and parastatal sectors, that you know that they're they're being watched, and we can see this, and it's really odd. I don't think the being watched part bothers them as much as it used to, because now they've they've created, as I mentioned before, this disinformation complex, where yeah. if you say speaking speaking, speaking of. Former Prime Minister Ardern, who is apparently now at some misinformation think tank. Yeah. So now they can just say you're crazy when somebody looks at it and says, you know, this this uh, you framing it in economic terms and going after capitalism looks an awful lot like a pretty toxic political theory. But we're not supposed to say the word because that's a conspiracy theory, right? 
Right. And I think it's important, as, as we're kind of touching on here, the complicity of our uh, corrupt, quote unquote, mainstream media in this country and around the world. I mean, and with our state media NPR, I just want to quote something quickly from that story that you sent me uh, before this conversation, Mike. And it says, in recent years, this aversion to eating bugs has fused with an amorphous and shape-shifting conspiracy theory in which a shadowy global elite conspires to control the world's population. For those who espouse the theory, eating bugs isn't just a matter of disgust or questioning the impacts of climate change. It's framed as a matter of individual freedom and government control. (laughs) Congratulations, NPR. You actually, maybe by accident, accurately described (laughs) what is going on here. Because this is about the difference and the the conflict between our individual freedom and government control, which is one of the most, uh, you know, in modern, in in the modern history of humanity is the key struggle among humans is, 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 is retaining their individual autonomy and, and freedom against controls by the government. That's why this country was founded in the first place more than 200 years ago. And let's be let's be really clear too. The World Economic Forum, I think, and you guys have I I haven't read the book as Mike has, uh, The Great Reset, but I've read enough about it, I think, to say this. They're not even a government. They're not elected officials. They are appointed by themselves. No, <laughs> no it's a it's a it's a private non governmental institution that then invites all these people in in positions of authority to come and pontificate about whatever it is that they want. And then of course it's all in the framework of uh, Schwab stakeholder capitalism. He basically invented ESG 40 years before anybody did ESG. Uh, And uh, you know, and, and, and then because you know, all these politicians, you know, all these politicians are there, they all give their speeches, they all talk to each other, you know, it's all a, well, it's all a, a form of networking. It, it's the it's the Klaus Schwab has the best the best uh, situation he could possibly imagine. He doesn't have to win any elections. He doesn't have to be accountable to anybody. He just has to he just has to train his acolytes to carry out their shared socialist agenda. It's uh it's it's awesome. And then you get some of the the biggest corporations and biggest you know billionaires and power players in the world to donate to the organization so that uh, you can help make this happen all the way around the world. You know, it's 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 that's a lot easier than trying to win an election uh, anywhere individually. That that takes a lot of uh, leave that leave those details to somebody else. Instead, spend 40 years cultivating the 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 you know just cultivating the ground for global socialism. And then eventually those seeds will, will, will sprout uh, plants. And that's what's happening right now. I mean, we, we are in the world in a large way. In fact, in fact, that's one of the reasons I think I may have mentioned it on that old podcast, Sarah, from just a couple months ago. But the reason they're speaking out loud now is because they think, and they might be right, that it's already too late to turn around and go back to freedom. Mm-hmm. There's, they, they, they feel like they've won. They're the tone of what they say and the substance of what they say sounds like winners to me. Sounds like people who think they've already won the game. I, I tend to agree with you. I, I think that have they? I, I I think that they feel like they have. Sure. Now, have they? I don't know. I think uh, it's you know it's really it's really difficult to, without hindsight, look back and and see where things have gone wrong and why things didn't pan out the way 
these huge, powerful, you know, interests want them to. But there's plenty of history to suggest that it looks like something's going to go a certain way and then it doesn't go that way. Um, I will say they've done a really good job, as you mentioned, of laying that groundwork and they are talking like they've already won. I think we're a problem in this country, uh, maybe in, in Western Europe, not so much Eastern Europe. We're a problem for that ultimate um, goal. And that's where this pressure is coming from. And that's why when we have a highly progressive president like the one we have now, um, it's very frightening because I shouldn't say frightening, but it's it's worrisome because um, that's more aligned with their goals. And that is it does run counter to these ideas of individual freedom that we we consider precious here. See, I. I, I, I think kind of building off what Sarah talked about that there is they have you know they may talk like they have won that they're that that we have reached the end of you know that we have reached the end of history and now it's just a matter of unrolling the end of history and then but you look at all the times that history didn't unroll you know no matter what you think of our response to it you know how are you going to sell global governance when there's an ongoing war in Europe uh, you know, you look at the reaction by maybe not the presidential administration, but by members of Congress, by uh, state governments to the ability that they have to uh, some of the actions by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, you look at, you know, I, again, I, 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 thinking back to some of the despair that I had in, you know, mid-late 2020, early 2021, about where the sort of biomedical surveillance state was going to go, a lot of that got rolled back, uh, you know, and not, just in, and not just in the United States, also abroad. Uh, in fact, if anything, uh, you know, because the federal administration maintains the vaccine mandate on non-citizens, uh, we have rolled it back in some ways less than the Europeans. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't think that we've reached the end of history as much as some of the World Economic Forum types might wish that we had. I tend to agree. I mean, I think, you know, we had Spencer Clavin on not too long ago and his philosophy on this, he put it on Twitter. Um, it's basically like it's what you focus on. We can't know what the outcome is, but do you focus on the positive outcome or do you focus on the negative outcome? Because which one are you working for? Which one are you working toward? Right. Which I thought was a really profound way to look at things. But I will say with a caveat, it doesn't mean we shouldn't stay ever vigilant and get a little bit freaked out by this, even if you are optimistic that, well, they're definitely, you know, talking like winners because it, it could. I mean, to, to the to the extent to the extent there's put to the extent there's pushback, it's because people are scrutinizing it because people are bringing attention to it because people are, you know, watching the, you know, eight things you'll do in 2030 and seeing that they're promoting you'll own nothing and be happy. Wait, what does this mean? What do you think, Jim? Are, you, are you more concerned that it's it... too late? I'm sorry, Mike, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Well, uh, if you guys are trying to cheer me up, I'm just going <laughs> to let you know, it's not going to work. <laughs> I'm not going to be cheered up. Uh, I'm the resident <laughs> pessimist in every, every panel I'm on. So, uh, uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm t I tend to be uh, more pessimistic on this. I mean, I, I look at the longer view. 
um, even in the United States. I mean, you know, Abraham Lincoln called it the last best hope of man on earth, uh, you know, and for freedom. And Ronald Reagan called it, a, you know, the world looks to us as a shining city on the hill of freedom and liberty. And, you know, again, I'm 52 years old. I, you know, I've, I have not seen my country, the last best hope of man on earth, get more free year over year. I have not, in, in big ways and small ways, um, I, I don't see freedom on the ascendancy in the United States. And it's certainly not on the ascendancy in Western Europe uh, and in Australia, which became a, a police state and New Zealand, which became even worse. It, one, of the most, one of the most shocking things to me, uh, I remember, again, we were doing podcasts when COVID was, was uh, we just heard about this disease that was happening somewhere in China. Well, well, that sounds weird. It must be like like the bird flu or something. It'll never come over here. Little did we know. But I remember at the time, you know, watching, you know, two weeks to slow the spread. And then that turned into months and then turned into a long time. And then we have to wear masks and you have to stay in your house and we're going to shut down all these businesses. And we're going to mandate everybody get a vaccine. And all, as all that was unfolding, I kept waiting waiting for the American people to say, that's not what we do here. I am not going to put up with that. I am going to open my business. And what happens? A salon owner in Texas, Texas, Sarah, Texas opens her salon and gets arrested. Uh, two, two gym bros in New Jersey want to keep their gym open so that people are healthy and they're arrested. This happened in the United States of America. So yeah, I'm going to be pessimistic because I don't see light at the end of that tunnel, I see it getting darker because it seems like freedom is not on the ascendancy and hasn't been uh, for several years, frankly, ever since COVID. And again, that was the that was the global catastrophe that Klaus Schwab, almost with a smile on his face, said, this is our moment now. We're going to this is our moment for our big power grab. And, you know, uh, his acolyte, uh, Jacinda Hardin, couldn't couldn't do it fast enough. I can't even imagine. I, I have a vision in my mind of her doing a Zoom call with uh, with Klaus Schwab. Daddy, did you see that, Daddy? Did you like that, Daddy? <laughs> you know, it's like she, you know, no one's going to be better than me. Uh, you know, so, yeah, I'm a little pessimistic on this, although I will now put a little bit of a caveat on that, Mike. And that is that when you see here in the United States, you see states fighting back on things like ESG. You see state after state um, passing legislation saying that, uh, yeah, well, at least for a start, uh, state invested funds will have nothing to do with ESG. If your fund is in ESG stuff, we're not putting our money with you. And that is a big pile of money. We're talking like hundreds of millions of dollars for our uh, public pensions are not going with you. They're going to go somewhere else. And so we see these little, little bits of pushback. And those kind of things really can only happen in the United States. So maybe that, that, that will be the beginning of a germination of some sort of pushback on this because there are very few governments, in fact, zero governments, certainly not this federal government, pushing back on the WEF agenda. Well, I feel I feel very dressed down. <laughs> no, I <laughs> I think that having having the optimist and I mean I hate to put it in these terms, but I'm gonna having the optimistic and the pessimistic outlook is necessary for war. You have to have both, and I do feel like we are at we are in an ideological. I mean, war. it's it's like I, I don't think there's a. I mean, I mean, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Clavin, like, you know, optimistic, pessimistic probably isn't the right model. It's, you know, constant engagement and constant, uh, the constant contest, you know, <coughs> Art earns out of office, mm -hmm. but others are in office. Uh, you know, the, 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 the Democrat, you know, in, in electoral democracies, the pendulum swings, uh, you know, it's hard to 
what what I do think we can say is that at least there is a limit because you saw even in the People's Republic of China, which wanted to be wanted to be zero COVID lockdown for as long as Xi Jinping needed it to be. Even there, public pressure brought it to what passes for an end in the People's Republic of China. So what what I would say is that while we can't be, you know, blasé and think that everything's going to be fine, you know, there is a, you, you know, there there is a point at which the pushback comes, even if it's not where we would hope that it would have been made. Yeah. And, I, and I think I'll give Jim the last word because we're kind of starting to run long. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was just going to ask you guys a question. I mean, haven't you noticed how quickly everything is happening? That this is, you know, we've seen, you know, Western democracies go socialist and kind of stay in their own lane, you know, but this is this is all encompassing and it seems to be everywhere. Um, and I think, you know, not to get political, but that goes back to, to Trump actually being elected in 2016. I mean, the Obama, uh, uh, President Obama expected to hand over basically a third term to Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump was elected and everything stops. And that was that was true around the world, too. They knew that with Trump, they were not going to get cooperation on this kind of garbage like they are now from from the Biden administration. So this is happening so fast because they're trying to make up for lost time, realizing that there is a there's, we may never get this opportunity again. We thought we had a long road ahead of us and then we got cut off. So now we got a sprint. And that's what I think is really actually good for those of us who believe in freedom, because it's happening so fast that it's starting to shock the system of uh, not just people, but also uh, government, governmental systems as well. Uh, all right. Well, thanks again to Jim Lakely of the Heartland Institute for joining us. We will link to an episode. We will link to the episode that we've been discussing about of, from his episode of In the Tank on the World Economic Forum in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a 